0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose driven leaders. Our focus is to share meaningful conversations with purpose driven people having a big social impact in our community. Our mission is to enable you to listen, connect, and grow. You can learn more at
1: humansofpurpose.com.au. Welcome back to the pod, and great to have you with us, as always. Well, earlier in the week, I had the pleasure of partnering with the Transitions Film Festival, Loop Bar and Cinema, and Matt Wicking, to do a live podcast to a crowd of about 20 people. Um, and this was just a really nice get-together with Matt, who's a facilitator, MC, artist and activist. He's got a freelance practice called Cloud Catcher, and in that practice, he's working with progressive groups to amplify their impact. So this discussion went really well, and I was um, really impressed by the quality of questions that came from the audience throughout uh, the podcast. If you haven't been to a live podcast before, there's a lot of audience engagement, which is really exciting for me because I get to come out of my uh, small podcast room and into the real world and join the listeners and uh, really make something special together. So this was a lot of fun. it's actually got me really excited for our podcast with Nat Kiriaku, which is also a live podcast, on the 21st of the month of next month, March. Nat is the founder and CEO of My Green World, a wonderful conservation app that teaches our children about the environment, wildlife, endangered species... And Nat is just, uh, she's a force of nature, so I really look forward to talking to her about tech, conservation, uh, the preservation of endangered species, and all things entrepreneurship, youth, and the community sector. We're doing just 20 tickets for this uh, special event, so check in the show notes, there's a link there, you should see links on all our socials to that, and we're with Humanities for this one. So very excited and I think those seats will sell out early knowing um, that's big fan base out there. So get on board and come be a part of the action and uh, enjoy the pod.
0: So first off, um, Matt, it's fantastic to be with you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, just by way of introduction, you're a facilitator, MC, artist and activist working with progressive groups to amplify their impact and you have a freelance practice called Cloud Catcher as well. Yeah, that's right. It, that's a pretty long summary. Really? Spot on. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I didn't mention there is you're also in an
2: awesome rocking rock band. Yes. Tell um, you know me more. My band's called the General Assembly. So that's the uh, part of the artist part, I suppose, of those um, titles at the front. And I've been playing music since, um, well, since I finished school, really, for quite a while now. And it's a it's an important part of my life, and it makes up about half of my or I,
0: my aim is for it to take about half of my time. When I look at your mix, I'm sort of thinking to myself, "What an ideal creative cacophony of uh, creative expression! Uh, you know, engaging with people, um, making revenue important, but also you know, actually making fantastic uh, music and impact." Did it take you long to arrive at that mix? Yeah, well, I'm 41 now, so it's taken me 41 years to arrive at that mix. But I'm,
2: um, I, it's sort of been just bit by bit, incrementally shifting over time. I did a. Um, I guess I've had a few moments in my life where things have shifted significantly. Um, I remember being at university and failing out of the different subjects that I was doing because I just wasn't into it. Um, I was studying commerce and I I found myself not that um, enamoured with what I was learning and Mm. couldn't really understand the application of it. And um, I was also studying psychology, which turned out to be a bit less appealing than what I thought. Um, I've always been interested in human behaviour, but the the way they teach stock at uni can be a bit technical and, um, boring. So I found myself struggling there, but then I I found my way to environmental studies and started to work in the, um, to, to study in the sustainability space. And that has opened up a whole world of possibilities work wise. So it's been quite a while that I've been doing work that I care about. Mm. Um, pretty much most of my work career has had something to do with environment, sustainability, um, people and art, but, um, the mix that I've got going on now, I, I feel really privileged and lucky to be able to do that work. Um, I feel like it suits me really well, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, but I, I really
0: enjoy it. You've been described as an enthraller of crowds. <laughs> I find you very enthralling, but <laughs> Thanks, I, I must say, I, appreciate I, <laughs> it. I find it hard to believe that you would have been as enthralled and enthralling as a commerce student or graduate what can you just take us through the mindset shift and sort of what it was like um finding what you you felt your purpose was in environmental activism yeah sure um i, I think I just did that
2: when you know when you finish school you're so young and you've got to make decisions about your career so it's a pretty classic story in that way I suppose um i I, I did pretty well at school and so I, you know, got advice from my parents and others that, you know, do a do a double degree. you're, and you're interested in psychology, you care about that, but what about um, commerce is good. It's good to learn about business and the way the world really works and so on. And so I started doing that and I just found myself floating through both of those, you know, areas of study and not really connecting passionately with them. Um, but I realized as I was in the commerce degree that it seemed absurd that the people doing this study would potentially be the managers of businesses of the future mm. who would be having an impact on the world, a significant impact, um, but that there was no compulsory ethics component. There was a compulsory ethics component to psychology, fair enough, but there wasn't one to commerce and that seems stupid to me. So I did an elective called um, Ethics, Business and Society, which was really eye-opening and I mm. learned a truckload from that um, and it just got me shifting and moving down this path towards where I am now. Um, it got me reading Naomi Klein's No Logo back in the '90s, um, and following my heart, I suppose. I think that the I could find my, I found myself working for organisations in the past. I've done a, a role as a communications advisor for the Bureau of Meteorology, for example, for about six months. They hired me to help out with a, a report they were working on, and I just felt like. It was a beautiful role, working with great people, but you could sort of take me out and put almost anyone into that role and the outcome wouldn't be that different. You know what I mean? Anyone capable. Um, and But with my music work, that's not the case. You take me out of that band and the whole thing dissolves and doesn't exist. You take me out of the facilitation work I do and I feel like it would be a very different outcome if you put someone else into that role. Mm-hmm. I get to bring a lot more of myself um, and I get to use my mind but also my heart and my intuition uh, to work with groups to help them get where they want to get to so it's a a richer experience for me and it feels really um, special for that
0: and what do you think about the the role of ethics today we sort of see that um, in society you know last year the Edelman Trust Barometer came out and basically said that people don't trust anyone anymore (laughs) <laughs> they don't trust. Uh, not for, they don't even trust not for profits. So yeah, right. not for profits down, media down, business down, government down. Um, everyone's down this year. There's been a bit of a bounce back in trust, mm. a couple of percentage points, particularly the not for profit sector. It makes me think sort of a bit more broadly about sort of the role of ethics and how it's changed across you know teaching even things like commerce, and you see it in coding now as a mandatory part of coding and UX design. Um, do you think we're doing the right things and making the right noises in that space now? No. Um, I reckon if if we
2: look at it as, oh, we'll just keep the system the same and we'll teach people ethics that things will change, I think we're kidding ourselves. I reckon, um, you know, our economic system is clearly dysfunctional and problematic and it's um, our obsession with growth, um, which is a fundamental tenet of mm. how economics works um, today. It's destroying life on the planet as we know it. So you can't just give people an ethics course and hope that that would change that um, because it's not just a good good people in bad systems will do bad things and make bad decisions and so we need to change the systems.
0: So can I ask you to um, make a suggestion around what we might do in place of that to... Um you know what? What do you advise when you when you're sort of speaking? Because I did see you know your purpose last year. You, you often speak to big audiences about uh, very depressing themes, <laughs> the, the, the state of the world, the environment, um, you know, our economy. But you I like do... to call them important themes. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, transitions film festival also covering some very important themes. But one might easily become distressed or came, upset. Yeah. Um, how can people become more informed? What would you, advice would you give about becoming more informed and ethically aware and also in actioning ethics? I think the last part of that question is the most interesting
2: to me now, which is the action bit. Um, I'm not sure what the point of ethics are if we don't turn them into action. So, and also I think we learn about what matters to us and um, the reality of the world and what's right and what's wrong for us by taking action, by doing stuff. So um, increasingly my sense is the sort of action that's needed is um, action that shifts power, that um, moves um, energy from where it's currently sitting with massive corporations, with um, people who are in positions in politics but paid money by those corporations um, and by significantly middle-aged white Men, and we need to shift it away from those people who have traditionally held power, because frankly, they've fucked it up, and it's not working. And we need change. Um, I mean, that's not a very um, high-level analysis. I thought it was but, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll but take you know, that. it's it's clearly not working. So my um, my aim is to help support people who are not currently in power
0: to. Um, have an impact on that. And so you talk a bit in your work about connecting with people's hearts and minds Mm. and I think hearts and heads and sort of evoking emotions and um, really um, enabling activism through speaking to that inner voice as well. Yes. I don't know. I, sorry, I probably should have put that in a question. I just sort of said that. <laughs> but uh, uh, imagine that was a please discuss kind of situation. <laughs> yes, it's good. Sometimes
2: it helps if, if it has a question, even though it doesn't actually really make a difference.
0: It's hard interviewing a facilitator, what can I say? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Um, so the question is about creativity and about engaging people with ha- their hearts and minds. I think, um, I mean, you know, back in the day, I was a sustainability consultant and I worked in the corporate world. And my role, part of my role was to write reports and gather data and stats and facts so we could share those so that people would take action. And there's lots of groups that do that, lots more qualified than I will ever be. Um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a group of thousands of scientists who gather every few years and pull together the latest data as we know it and say, this is where we're at in terms of climate change. And then largely, not much changes. Um, and we see that, and we've been seeing it for 20 or 30 years with that group. And so at some point I think you need to ask, if we keep getting more data and more stats and reports and facts and graphs, is that going to help? Like if, how high yeah. does the pile need to get? Yeah. If it was just about information, then we would have changed already. We would have moved already. We would have done what we need to do mm. already. Mm. Uh, apparently we've got the, the tools and the technology we need. We've got the... Um, the knowledge and the ability to make changes to the way we're working, but there's other stuff
0: getting in the way. So let me then maybe ask you about um, the usefulness of um, books like Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now and people who are sort of telling us that um, in defence of liberal democracy, things are better now than they ever have been before. And we need to start to think about the positives more, the the case for optimism around the state of the world. Um, Is that doing harm to activism or is it helping frame a different perspective?
2: I, th- I think it's, per- it's really quite personal, that stuff. So if it, if it helps someone to balance their you know, ledger a little bit to, to see that, there's, yes, there is some good stuff happening, then cool. Um, and if that helps you feel a little bit buoyed so that you can then go out and do the work to tackle the critical stuff that's happening, great. But if it is bright-siding of what's happening and you look at that mm. stuff and go, yeah, cool, actually, it's pretty good. Yes. And it's good here in uh, wealthy Melbourne... Um, as a straight white male, things are pretty good. Maybe we don't need to change anything. You know, I think that's really dangerous and problematic. And I think, I haven't read that book um, by Steven Pinker, but... I'll give you a summary. Yeah. Things are great and they're getting better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think that's, Um, I think that is dangerous because it's, you could say it's problematic to focus only on the bad, but then surely the same goes for the other way. Yep. And... I don't understand how you can look at the data on biodiversity loss, on climate change, mm. on environmental emergency, just as one area and say that that, that is worth really spending time on. Yep. Um, because, and things might be doing better in a whole range of different ways, but if we pull the the rug of life out from under ourselves, then all those other indicators go down. Economic wealth goes down. You know, people start being less nice to each other. Health Goes down. Um, the reality is it happens in developing countries, so called developing countries, um, first, most likely, rather than here. So I think it's problematic also for wealthy people from first world nations to talk in that way without being conscious of what they're maybe not looking at
0: happening elsewhere. That's a great point. And I, I think there's a, a question to be asked around um, the subjectivity of narrative as well and sort of which. Um, Facts are you operating from? Hmm. and we're, I don't think we have lived in a world like this before where um, you know you can pick up two different newspapers and the same situation has happened and both report a completely different narrative yeah and the overlap is tiny yeah so how do you, how do young people and activists make sense of the world in which it's almost impossible to get a sense of what facts are true and mm. not? I think that's such an important question right now, where in some
2: ways we're struggling through a crisis of comprehension as much as anything that There's so, so much complexity that we're faced with in the modern world um, that it can be really difficult to understand what is actually going on, um, and then what are the right choices as I want to move through as I move through that. Um, I think my, I guess my th- working proposition, um, and perhaps goes some way to answering part of your question before about some of the work I do, is that we need to come back to recognising that what we are is not just purely rational beings. Um, economists will have us believe that we're rational decision-makers. It's one of the first um, laws of uh, economics, but fundamentally, scientifically, we're not. And if we, if we come back to the reality that we're not purely rational decision-makers and that what we are is complex, emotional, intuitive um, and intellectual animals and that we have social needs as well as emotional needs and other needs, and that all of those things play a role in how we uh, comprehend what's happening around us Mm. and in how we uh, then make decisions based on what we see and understand around us in the world, then that means that perhaps we need to present ideas and information to people in new different ways to help people to make sense of what's happening. Yeah. Um, those new and different ways, I think, in some ways are not so new. They're, they're old ways. Like, um, storytelling is an example of a technology that holds in it complexity, emotion, um, and, um, meaning rather than just cold stats that without context can be taken to re- be read in any sort of way. Um, that's a scary idea potentially if, um, you know, um, we want to be able to say that there is, there's facts and, and they are true. And there is an empirical basis to reality. However, we as human animals aren't fully capable of making sense of that, I don't think, um, all the time. Mm. And so I think accepting that, what is it, the limitations of us as a species is,
0: is really important. And I think um, your final point there about making sense of the world we live in um, makes me think a lot about what are, the, what are the skills that our children and even, you know, the younger generation now are going to need to know to navigate the world in its complexity. So things like um, learning how to learn, um, sense-making, mm. sort of how do we decode, um, you know, it was described by a friend uh, to me recently that going online is like um, trying to drink water out of a fire hose. You know, there's just, there's just, you're drowning in um, useless information and facts, and you just, you can't find what you're looking for because you're drowned in useless content. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, one of the, one of the skills we're going to need to know is how do I find good information? Mm. Well, what you're suggesting there is perhaps, or your friend is that
2: it may not be that it's all necessarily useless content, but that it's useful content, but um, not drip-fed to us in a way that we can actually consume yes. it uh, meaningfully. Um, so that's a so modality thing. So the problem, yeah. yeah. Um, so then that suggests perhaps, um, I don't have set answers for this, but mm. that suggests to me maybe that uh, I would want to bring up um, the next generation and current generations and myself um, with uh, more ability to be silent and slow and um, find time for quiet. Yes. Um, uh, so that means mindfulness practice becomes more critical than mm. ever. Um, so that you can connect with yourself and with the world around you and others around
0: you in a more um, in a less distracted way. That's a great answer. I might see if there's any questions from our uh, audience. Jade's usually got a question. Not not tonight. No. Okay. Anyone else want to pick um, Matt's brain? If you don't, you have to listen to me. No. Okay. Up the back, Mark. Ask it to me. Just just ask it to me, and I'll um, I'll re-ask it to um, Matt. So the question is about your peers at university during commerce, or did they go on after commerce to find meaning in a commercial pursuit, or did they perhaps question more about uh, purpose and meaning after that and deviate from the norm? Hmm. Well, at, at those unis, they churn through
2: thousands of people doing commerce degrees every year. So I think the the mix would be really broad. And for some people, yeah. Um, I think where humans are really great at making meaning from whatever situation we find ourselves in, we, we crave it and need it, and so we form meaning from even imperfect data. Um, so some of them will have found themselves in what you could look on from the outside as as fairly shallow and meaningless work and be at least on the surface, satisfied with that work, I'm sure. Um, others will have realized, will have hit a dead end 10 years, 15 years later and, and thought, what the hell am I doing with my life um, and why am I living it to this end? I don't care about this ladder that I'm on. And I definitely know people like that. Um, I, it's funny talking about that commerce degree because it's such a, a footnote in my you know past. In some ways,
0: um, it's, a co- it's a common footnote. I've been through the same process, right? Very similar.
2: Yeah, and and when I look back on it, I feel like it was kind of absurd to to do it. You know, after I did that degree, I went and worked in the world of business for a while, and then I was like, oh, now I could do a commerce degree and make some sense of it. But at the time, it was all just theoretical, like hypothetical sort of stuff. Like, what is a manager really? I don't know at this point. I haven't really had one, so how does that work? You know. It was all just kind of um,
0: noise. It's a great answer. Thank you. Got one more question? Go ahead. I yes. um, to me. ask you, I think, what you had mentioned earlier, In the corporates, because if that can be done, could there be an opportunity to bring scale and change? Mm. Sorry, change at scale. I love that question, so I just echo that to you. That, that's a question about: is, is there a way to light a fire under the people who are at corporations already, so that they are the um, influencers of change and you know um, spark change significantly at, at scale within those organisations? Do you want my honest answer.
2: I reckon that work has been um, – there have been people doing that work for a long time now um, within organisations trying to spark a light of fire um, either as professional you know, sustainability advisors to that firm, people that the firm hires specifically to do that job or as outside people consulting to that firm or as people inside who are just passionate who want to create that change. Um, the honest bit is I think we're past that now. I think that the emergency that we are in the middle of is too urgent for us to, to go back and slowly, gently try and encourage um, people who are fundamentally um, ensconced or wrapped up in a system that is broken and is destroying everything to try and help them maybe see that. I think that we need to go where power is and we need to say, you have failed us. And we are taking this power back and we're going to use it for good, for reconnecting the human species to its um, birthright, which is our connection to the natural world. And we're going to recreate economic systems that actually do that work. Because, again, you have failed to do that even for decades and decades and decades and decades as it's become really obvious. So I love the idea. I did it for a decade um, in my first job. Um, I... My personal feeling on it, and I'm sure there'd be others who would disagree, but my personal feeling on it is that we're actually past the time for that work now. I think it's too late. And I think that if we get lost in hoping that that might be enough, then I think we're, I think potentially we're kidding ourselves. Front row, go ahead.
0: Um, I was just wondering if you could give any advice for um, a uni student who's studying environmental
3: science and is about to complete my final year. Uh, any advice of where you think is best suited to put my energy when I finish university? I read the book recently, The Doing Good Better, and it spoke about, you know, you either can put your, t- put your time into working for a big corporation, make a lot of money and then use that money or to, to you know, invest in, in grassroots organisations and put your money, or to invest your time and work for maybe, say, like a non-for-profit, with, which may not see you know, you've obviously got a lifespan of uh, work ahead of you, so I was just wondering if you have any
0: advice. So that's a great question. That's a question really about uh, applying effective altruism, and the book's by Will McCaskill, Doing Good Better, and um, it's, it's really saying, you know, um, given that, you know, being about to graduate from environmental science, um, what's the best thing for a, for a young person to do to create change? Should they um, embark on a career that's deep in the, in the sector and try and make change that way, or should they do something more commercial and potentially invest some of the proceeds from that in uh, funding change? That's a really great question. Again, another great question. Um, it, I, f- I find
2: that a hard one to answer in a way because I don't know your personal circumstances and, and you know what your um, what your aims are, what you want for your life, what you your, what your needs are, and, and, and what your situation is. So I think that's all really important. You know, I, I, it's easy for me to sit um, as a relatively privileged person in our society and in a bunch of ways and say, here's what we need to do or here's what people should do, but that's that's for me in my
0: life. That's what I'm doing. Um, Could I reframe the question slightly? Maybe it's about um, if you... Should one go directly to their passions or should yeah. one try and get some experience in the commercial sector um, and maybe do some different things to sort of, you know, maybe produce a, a better net effect later on? Well, passion, definitely, I, I think.
2: You know, that's my take. I mean... Um, I, I just, there's that um, saying, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go and do that, because what the world needs is people who have come alive, which I think is a beautiful quote, and I can't remember who it's by. But um, I also think that, you know, that the effective altruism idea, I've heard Peter Singer talk about that as well, yeah. Um, and I, I guess I find that idea personally a little bit unsatisfying in that... Um, if, if the work you're doing is fundamentally causing some of the issues that you're then hoping to spend your money on improving, um, which most work in the mainstream corporate world is, um, then you're shooting yourself in the foot or you're undercutting the good work that that money might do. And again, I don't think we have time for that. And I want to see anyone who's well-skilled and passionate and keen, personally, moving as as fast as you can or as passionately as you can towards... Um, good work that you care about that helps to shift something in the world, you know, helps to change the way our systems work rather than going inside the systems and maybe um, taking it
0: on from that point of view. It's a great answer. Thank you. I might use that to springboard into, you know, given the diversity of your work and the fact that you're doing so many different creative and um, busy things, how do you manage yourself and make sure that you're sort of bringing the best of yourself to everything? Um. I,
2: about almost exactly two years ago, I came down with a a fever and it wiped me out for a week and I was incredibly unhealthy. It was glandular fever. Uh, And since then, I've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue, which is a complex disorder that's not really well understood, but it's a, you know, in some ways it's a form of burnout, I suppose. Um... And so that question that you ask about managing myself and making sure that I can bring my best to, to things that I do is really live for me right now as I'm recovering. Um, I'm doing pretty well because I'm here, I'm doing this, and I'm this year feels really good so far. Um, but it is it is still a, something I really have to manage. So I I actually have a phenomenal amount of stuff that I do to make sure that I'm functioning as well as I can. I think that the stuff that I'm doing, given my... Health disorder at the moment. Um, I think that stuff could be useful for anybody who's doing this kind of work. Um, the things that have been most beneficial are um, having good, um, like basically aligning my life with the cycles of nature more. So getting good sleep, waking up at the same time every day and going to bed around the same time, blacking out my room so that it's dark like it's meant to be at night time. Um, having a routine in the day. I used to be someone who thought that routine was for other people and I loved <laughs> the freedom and flexibility and it was a big part of my identity that I'm like, I'm, I'm here for whoever needs me whenever they need me. I can stay up and do work if I need to then or I'll get up early or what, and sleep in or whatever. Um, but that was denying something uh, true about my physiological needs as, a, as an animal. And so coming back home to those things that I really need have, has been really grounding. Um, And then mindfulness practice of all sorts has been amazing. Um, Firstly, when I haven't been able to move much, just um, breathing and and quieting the mind exercises, but then more so yoga and movement practices like qigong and stuff like that, um, which are all thousands of years old, absolutely solid gold proven to work um, and are amazing ways of um, grounding you, connecting you better to yourself and to the, um, energy of the you know, world around you. And so that's my sort of shorthand version of looking after myself. And then the other parts are seeing myself as what I am, which is a social creature with social needs and making sure that I have rich, deep relationships with um, good people in my life and that I feel that live connection with them. Um, it's something that I lost in the time when I was unwell. And it's also something that had sort of become a bit shallower before that because I was too busy. So I think um, this this last couple of years has given me real focus on what really matters to me it's just been a real gift so it's been it's been shithouse uh, if you don't mind the language but it's um it's been a real gift as well silver lining.
0: <laughs> yeah someone say it that yeah so a connected question then just about um, how you feel about um, managing data internet uh, social media how do you relate to the digital world and how do you um, do you think well or do you like to I'd like me a little bit. <laughs> you're, you're, you're after my top tips for technology. This has just become a Tim Ferriss podcast. It's just all hacks. <laughs> no, no.
2: Yeah, so I've got um, I've got an app on my phone. I, I believe there's many sorts like this. My, the one I use is called Freedom, which locks me out of social media at set times. Yep. Or, is that the one that grows a tree or that's a different one? That's a different one. Okay. Yeah, you can get other ones that, that do different things, but I find that super handy. In fact, it doesn't lock me out of my social media at certain times. It just lets me in for like two hours a day. And when I first... Um, put it on my phone and my computer, it links the two. I was like, shit, what if I need to like get on Facebook for something? It's like you don't ever need to get on Facebook for something. It's Someone will that call urgent. you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You can work it out another way. Um, so that, you know, fear subsided pretty quickly. So I do that. Um, it also locks me out of my email at something like 6 p.m. every day. So working for myself, that's a danger that I, you know, might um, sit on my laptop and... Oh, know, yeah. Stuck on my email. So I've got like sort of strict timelines for myself. I've got workarounds so I can still get that email through my phone mm. if I have to send something,
0: someone something. So um, has your addiction to the red dot waned a little bit with all those restrictions in place? Oh, uh,
2: I don't have any notifications pop up on my phone or anything like that either. So I'm, I've managed that stuff pretty well for myself. I don't like the idea of it controlling me.
0: Oh, you know, well. that sucks. So it's scary that we have to put such rigorous measures in place to not be controlled, though, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, it is a bit um it feels good to do it though. I'm definitely gonna do a couple of things you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great idea. So how do you um I mean, given your schedule and all the things you're doing, how do you learn and grow? Um, do you, are you a reader or a podcast listener? Yeah. I I listen to
2: podcasts a bit and uh, much more than I used to. And I I don't read a lot these days. Um I have read a lot in my life, but um I'm finding I learn so much through the things I'm involved with. Yep.
0: So your work has become your learning in a way.
2: Yeah, and it's three D that way. You know, it's um, it's not theory. There's nothing theoretical about it. Um, and so the reading I do will supplement or support or guide me through an experience. Um, I I mean I read a hell of a lot more than someone 50 years would have read. I'm sure just having access to the internet and so on, but.
0: Yeah. I, Where are you checking in and sort of getting your, um, updates and news from online? I, I don't
2: read the newspaper much. Um, I don't read online news and I don't get updates of news. Um, I do follow a couple of podcasts that sort of keep me up to date with bits and pieces, like, um, you know, a couple of radio national podcasts that I tune into every now and again. Yep. But generally, I mean, if there's anything really important going on, someone will tell you. Yes. <laughs> so I like to just let that happen, you know. Um, there's there's nothing – I've been working like this for a few years now and there's nothing major that I've missed. So, you know, it's, it's absolutely fine. I also think – and the reason I'm, – I'm being a bit flippant about it, but the reason I think it's really important is that, um, that fire hose that you talked about. And I think – you know, I, I did a communications um, – subject as part of my masters many years ago um, and as an elective. And they talked about uh, – no, so there were people in that course who like bought several newspapers and brought them in every day and they were there in class and like poring over the newspapers. And they, they saw that as part of their civic duty, I think, to be up to date with what was going on. And I think a lot of us are like that these days. Um, but my sense is that that there is a point at which – you know enough and you need to act. And the obsession with knowing more, there is a point at which it gets in the way.
0: And I think and there is the thing about sort of you know, going wide versus going deep. Like yes. knowing a lot of um, non-useful general things is probably far worse than knowing uh, one or two areas really well. Well, I know enough about the
2: environmental crisis now that I could not read anything for the next 10 years and I would still know that the thing we need to do is to get out into the street We need to strike from our work. We need to take over um, the halls of power and we need to change the way fundamentally that the systems that govern our economy and our society work are done. Um, We know that now. And that's not turning around in the next 10 years in a good way. That's only going to be worse. So just assume that that's happening, that it's going to be worse in the next 10 years, put the fucking paper down and come out and let's, you know, (laughs) take action and do things that are going to create change. That's my um, philosophy. And when I say take action and and create change, I don't just mean, you know, rallying or sit-ins, although I think those are really good things for us to do more of. They're something that have, over time, created change. Um, But, yeah, it also means talking to your friends and family and communities about things that matter. Um, It means joining groups, taking action at a local level. Um, There's all sorts of stuff that we can do. And I think that... um, An hour spent for me in front of a paper is an hour that I'm not doing something else. Um, Even if it's creating music or delivering a, a creative talk that tackles some of these topics in an interesting way.
0: Well said. We might just go to the floor quickly. Yes, up the back. Go ahead. it's a great question that's about whether um facts alone are enough or we need culture, music, film, uh, storytelling and things like the Transitions Film Festival is offering to really get buy-in from the people. I'm a big advocate for film festivals
2: like this, like the Transitions Film Festival, um because yes, um film's a beautiful medium for bringing together, you know, sound and story and visuals. Um, and I know that for myself in my life, there have been a few moments when I've been shifted on something big um, where I've been sitting in a cinema or in front of a screen watching a, um, either a documentary or a film of some sort. And that, that power can't really be denied. Um, in terms of music, I completely feel a, a very similar way about music and story in general. Um, there's a quote by Virginia Woolf where she says... Um, good fiction is like a spider's web attached to reality on all corners. And I think that the thing that fiction can do and story can do and, and, and documentary as well, like ways of weaving together complexity into a story, what that can do is it can um, help us by, by joining dots that are, by joining key points together in a meaningful way I think it can help us to understand, comprehend, and then um, see a role for ourselves or a place for ourselves in that thing um, and understand what it means for us. So, yeah, I think that we live in a world where we've largely, for- well, we've somewhat forgotten the power of those sort of forms of the arts. Um, the arts is seen as sort of a, um, you know, if you, if you choose to be an artist as your career, uh, your parents think you're a bit crazy. And a lot of other people do. And they worry where you're going to get money from because there's not much money in the arts. We all know that. Um, so they're seen as this sort of side event or this add-on or this nice-to-have, but um, I think that's foregoing or missing the point of their massive and phenomenal and beautiful power for us as humans. Thank you. Rachel?
0: So that's a question there about the people who we referred to earlier as um, sitting there reading the papers who need to put their papers down and take action. Who are these people who are reading the papers? Uh, I think the question was about not who's reading the papers but who's got the power. Is that right? Yeah. Sure, answer that one.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's reading the papers. I'm not in that world. But who's got the power? Um, look, I mean, I. I this is... Um, I'm going to have a go at an answer because I'm sitting here with Mike and I'm doing a podcast, but I may not be the best person to answer the question. I acknowledge that. Um, you asked whether um, governments have less power than they used to. I think, in some ways, that's true. I think, with the size and scale of international corporations, um, we have, with governments as our representatives, we have ceded some of our power to these bodies that are. Um, not properly accountable to us, which I think is a massive problem. Um, I don't even think it, we all know that's a massive problem. Um, and in terms of who's in power that we need to shift, yeah, I think um, when you look at the fact that our current Prime Minister, um, not that long ago, sat in Parliament with a lump of coal in his hand, um, joking and laughing about it, um, there's something wrong, deeply wrong with the, the the people that are sitting in positions of power in our government um, and the um, opposition as well. So I'm not just singling out a particular party. I think my sense is that to get into those positions, you need to pass through some sort of a um, gauntlet of, um, of compromises that leaves you, when you finally have power, unable to wield it for the good that it would be ideally wielded for. And... I my I don't look at politicians like that in the same way that I think s- some other people do. I significantly feel sorry for those people. I feel sorry for our prime minister that um and I think we need to save them from themselves and from the situation they find themselves in. Um I'm not, I'm not going to cry for him, but um you know, I I think that we need to uh take away their um lobbying money from them, just like you would take away a sugary lolly from a baby that can't help themselves. (laughs) You know, you don't, you don't try and explain to the baby why that's important. We, we take the thing away because we're responsible adults. And I think that we, the people in, of Australia, are the responsible adults in the room now. And the people who are in positions of power have unfortunately become so compromised. Partly because of how our democracy works, partly because of the power of corporations and other, other things. So I guess, People in power are are also corporations, though, as well. And people do great work to um, influence corporations. I know an awesome group in Australia, Market Forces, um, are trying to get fossil fuel money out of banks, super funds and insurance companies. Um, And they're picking off um, targets one by one, the biggest insurance companies, the biggest super funds, and trying to influence them to shift the way they invest their money. Because if you move money, then you move the way decisions are made. So I think those are great targets as well.
0: It's a great answer. Any other questions popping up? Yep, front row.
3: I guess to like lead on from that, um, you sort of spoke about like putting down the papers and getting out and rallying and then you said like, yeah, while rallying is important, it's like there's other things you can be doing. And I think a lot of the time we receive this information and we have this emotion response to like want to do an action and we almost need to act in that moment of that emotion response. But I think there's a gap between feeling that way and being knowing actually what to do. So what are some actual examples of what you can do in a real sense in your life? Obviously investing money responsibly and, and, you know, going for a physical bank and rallying and everything like that. Do you have some examples of things that we can do with another
0: it's a great question. It's a question about um, effectively mobilizing to take action um, and that gap between sort of having a lot of emotions about an issue and what do you do that can be effective to, to combat an issue. And if you've got ex- examples, Matt. Yeah, I'm happy to give it a go. M-
2: my feeling is there's two big things that we can do. Um, I think if this question was asked 10 years ago, we, we would have said something like um, get solar panels for your house, um, draft and draft proof and insulate your home, um, buy an efficient car, change your light bulbs, and so on and so forth. And all of those things are, are wonderful and important things to do. They are, though, in individual actions. And I think there's a quote by Bill McKibben where he says, The most important thing an individual can do now is to be less of an individual. So if we think about it that way, the individual actions, sorry, the actions that we can take are to connect with others to create change. Um, so one of them, yes, is move your money. So use a group like Market Forces and the beautiful research they do to help find out where, which of your money is basically funding the things that you hate and stop doing that. Um, and they, there are people, there are even ethical brokers who can help you do that. Mm. Um, and then the other one is um, I would suggest join a group of other hum- humans who are mobilizing to create change, one that lights you up, and um, and work with them to make that change happen. And don't just do it as a one-off action, but make it part of your life. So find community and, you know, relationship and meaning through those that work, um, through that connection. Um, it might be the Stop Adani protests uh, that are going on around Australia. And most locations in Australia, there will be a local Stop Adani group, which is made of people just like you and I who care about, um, who wish that people in power making different decisions and who have decided to get together and organise to make that happen. Um, or it might be joining a group like, you know, Friends of the Earth or Extinction Rebellion, which is a new group that's starting up um, globally who are basically saying, um, we think we're talking about the extinction of our species now, we're at, at that level and so we need to take radical action. Um, I think that the other thing that I'd add to that is that probably the best um, the best groups we can be a part of are ones that are um, that put indigenous voices first. Um, now some groups that's not appropriate for us to get involved because they're indigenous groups exclusively, but maybe we can give them money um, that uh, are, are about creating a safe, habitable planet to live on that are um, equitable and just, and that are work in a way that acknowledges intersectionality. Um, so that takes race into account, that takes gender into account. And so places that are run in a progressive manner I think are most likely to have positive change. And places that try and do climate um, work or environmental work with a justice mindset, I suppose, is what I'm saying, so that we don't leave behind the people in the La Trobe Valley. Um, but, in fact, we we find ways for that to be a... Instead of a coal energy-producing centre, we find ways to make that a renewable energy-producing centre. That could be a lot of information to sort of process, but I think the place to start is to find a group that feels like they're doing cool stuff and get involved and go and join their weekly or monthly meetings and and find out what that feels like.
0: I think we need more people to do that. Absolutely, and I would just say um, make sure... Think about where your money goes, and I think super is something that we can all think about. You know, it's it's one of the biggest contributions you'll make across your life is your super account. So, there are now a range of opportunities to invest ethically with your super, and also just buy products that um, don't clash with your values is an obvious one too. Uh, that's economic choice to make. Um, I wanted to ask you just about storytelling, and if if the, if there are things that you think that make a great storyteller or a story. I think we're all naturally really good
2: storytellers. So I'm not sure if there's something that makes a capital G great storyteller. Um, I I like personally the stories that I tell that I enjoy telling. Uh, I've, I've been doing this thing recently where um, I've been telling stories that are a mix of fact and fiction and where the lines are kind of blurred so you can't really tell where the fiction starts and where the fact ends. Um and I performed last year. I did a performance in Brunswick of a couple of these stories and filmed them. And one of them is going to be shown actually at a Transition Film Festival event this Sunday on the twenty fourth at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute. And it's a it's a um I I like those sorts of stories because they can incorporate magic realism. Mm. They can sort of bend our sense of what's possible in the world. Um, because I think. And I think that's important because I think that in order to create the sort of changes that we want to create, we need to bend our sense of what we think is possible in the world. Mm. Um, So I guess I do that through my literal storytelling or through the stories in my songs um, by creating somewhat mystical, mysterious settings um, where anything can happen.
0: And that's how you create the enthrallment effect as well.
2: Yeah yeah, that's right. That's the uh
0: in, in where the enthrallment effect is uh added in. I did want to um quickly touch on um uh, Dan just mentioned to me before that you had actually interviewed a group of um climate activists recently. Is it S four C S SS four C School strike for climate. Yeah, yeah, SS4C. Tell me about what that experience was like and um your reflections on what they're doing and how that fits into that sort of context of effective action or not or it was a really lovely role to play. It
2: was a week or so ago, actually, pretty recent. It was at the Sustainable Living Festival here in Melbourne. And uh, one of the producers of the Sustainable Living Festival, Sarah, got in touch and said, hey, Matt, we've got this um, panel conversation. It's called Schooled, and it's for students who are striking for climate action. So there's a there's a movement that probably most people know about, but that's um, an international movement now of school students striking from school in order to demand change for their future, in you know, basically demanding a future, um, which I think is a, is a fair ask, um, <laughs> a, a reasonable request. <laughs> Please, sir, can we have a future? Um, and it's it's gone so fun. So uh, there was a, a 15-year-old student, Greta Thunberg, in Sweden who um, started the movement, but then a group of Australian young folks took it on and organized an event in November last year that had about 20,000 kids striking from school. So it was major around the country. And so I was interviewing on a panel four of these young folks and it was so inspiring. They were like... um, I mean, it was inspiring for me. It was inspiring for everyone in the room. I could just tell. There was almost after everything they said, people were cheering. People gave them the standing ovation at the end. Um, It was like... um, they were they were almost uncannily good at, um, at like, sp- communication as well, I think just naturally so, and because they're just there being so authentic. Mm. Um, they got asked some curly questions. They answered them so, so incredibly well. Um, and they're really focused, and they know what they want. They've got some core asks, um, and they're doing something that I think a lot of us adults would like to do or would like to think that we could do, but we find ourselves stuck. I think we find ourselves stuck in the systems that we're a part of, um, in the responsibilities of debt or in the um, financial needs of looking after a family and ourselves or whatever it is. Um, so these school students are, in lots of ways, have less power than adults. Um, they can't drive yet. They don't have you know, the ability to vote. But they're a little bit loosened from some of the systems that we are enmeshed in and trapped in. So I think there's something really powerful and I think that when you see them speak about the work they're doing, um, it's inspiring because it, it again,
0: it shows that it sort of bends what we see as being possible yeah. again. Authenticity and magical realism, definitely part of it too. Yeah. Um, I might see if there are any sort of last round of questions, if anyone's got any pressing things they want to discuss. Well, then I might ask you, oh, there's one, yeah, go ahead.
3: Um, How do you see the future? Um, At the Sustainable Living Festival, I went to a talk about it was this guy, these two guys wrote a book about uh, carbon civilization and about sort of like the the decarbonisation future and what that world's going to look like and about sort of essentially like reducing overall the energy use and, and how we essentially live our lives. So I wonder if you have any views or um,
0: opinions on what you think the future moving forward is going to look like. So the question's um, loosely about what's coming next uh, for the environment and carbon and related issues. I think we're... I remember seeing
2: uh, Tim Flannery speak about 15 years ago. He was talking about climate change, and he said at the time, he said that Ten years ago, we thought that the impacts of this thing would hit in 200 years. And instead five years ago, we thought that they'd hit in 100 years. And he said then, he said, now we know they're coming in our lifetimes. Um, Now, 10 or 15 years on from that, we're seeing more impacts happening now than we we thought um, would be happening right now. Um, So that's obviously troubling. I can see a response to that starting to happen that I haven't seen um, and those school students striking is one example of that. So I can see more and more people becoming um, disenchanted or disenfranchised with um, the structures that keep us small and with the um, the limitations that the, the world we've created around ourselves of consumption and capitalism and, um, you know, the modern world have put on us. So from a human point of view, I can see um, mobilisation and momentum building in a way that's absolutely necessary. Um, Where that leaves us in terms of like on a planetary level, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like it's inevitable that we relocalise some of our um, economies so that, you know, the idea of shipping and transporting things around the world in the effortless way that we have when carbon-based fuels were cheap and plentiful and didn't have the known impact that they have, I think that inevitably has to change. So if you think about things like that, then the future necessarily looks more localised. Um, I think that the rest is sort of so hard to to predict. Um, I sometimes get asked if I'm optimistic or pessimistic and I, again, sort of think... I'm not sure if, how useful that is for me. Um, Greta... Thurnberg, that 15 year old student from Sweden, said something to the United Nations um, recently where she said, "Um, You adults keep saying, um, telling us that you're you're hopeful. And she said, I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic and take action because the house is on fire. And I thought that was just so clarifying. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think any of us, I think the thing about the future is we can't know, Um, but it gets made by what we do now today and one part of me hopes that you know we might um find ways to let this the difficulty of what's happening and the challenges of it um let them make us braver and more connected to each other and more open to the beautiful um creativity that we have in, inherent inside us and if this is happening anyway then that feels like a one good uh, way to approach it Go right
0: ahead, front row. Um, so I'm I'm vegan and I'm vegan for many reasons, but one of them is um, to treat carefully as
3: much as I can. Uh, and I was just wondering, um, obviously, the information that I find myself is in line with that belief. as a lot of, of times we find information that's in line with what we want to believe. Uh, and I was just wondering what your opinion is on that and on the
0: effect of um, you know, it. so very good point there about veganism and finding the information that um, we, we would naturally find validating, maybe confirmation bias is a concept as well. So it's a bit about um, how do we bring in new information as well, whilst also staying true to our beliefs or values. It's a really great, honest question. Like I love that you ask that to sort of say,
2: um, this is how I understand the world, but I recognize that I'm flawed just like all humans are and that maybe I'm not seeing that right. So asking someone else their opinion is really wise. I think um, whether I'm the right person to give my opinion, I don't know. But you're the right person. Again, for I've right got now. the mic, so I'm happy to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they say that the food that you eat uh, contributes a phenomenal amount to your personal carbon footprint, to your personal impact on the world, um, and that's not even taking into account the um, the welfare and well-being of animals uh, that we process, keep, and manufacture for food. Um, I'm vegan myself and have been for a little while, and the driver for that is environmental and animal rights. Um, but I got there first through the environmental aspect because I just couldn't – I was making all these changes to my life and I hadn't touched the food side of things, and I just started to realize that that was kind of crazy. Um, and I was just had this massive blind spot, which is completely understandable. And there's a book by Jonathan Safran Fur called Eating Animals. Have you read that? Yeah, right. It got made you go vegan, right? So um he talks in that in a really interesting way. So I thought when I saw the book and first picked it up, I thought it was about eating animals, which it is. It's about the way that we eat animals and how they're manufactured and produced for our use. But it's also about the fact that humans as a species are eating animals. We're animals that eat. And that eating is an important part of our culture. And that when you give up... um aspects of your diet or when you change aspects of your diet, you're potentially having impacts on those around you. So he talked about his um, decision for his son to go vegetarian, um, newborn son, and, but he knew that making that decision would mean that that son never got to eat his grandma's famous dish, which was chicken and carrots, um, and which had deep meaning for them in their family, um, deep historical meaning and personal meaning. So it didn't mean that he didn't want to make that choice, but it just meant that he was conscious of that. And for me that was a really good acknowledgement of how challenging it can be to make those changes. Um but I liked that he also held the line and went, "No, nah, it's important I'm doing it anyway." So yeah, I reckon um again, those are individual choices and I think that we need to be careful not to um f- ever feel like, you know, I've done that, so I'm doing my bit. We don't work like that. Um it's, it's, capital, it's our version of capitalism that we've got now that wants us to think of ourselves as individual consumers. That's not what we are. We're much more than that. We're more beautiful than that. We're part of ecosystems of humans. We exist in relationship. We only Our identity only really makes sense in the eyes of other people and vice versa. Um, I think that's really beautiful. And if we limit ourselves to those individual choices in terms of how we respond to an existential sort of a threat like this, I think we're limiting ourselves. Um, but, yeah, that's a, I think that's a big one, and I think more and more people are seeing it uh, and shifting. They reckon it's food trend of 2019. You heard it
0: here first, but, but I heard it somewhere else uh, a week ago. <laughs> I've got a question for you. Um, what are you most excited about that you've got coming up for the rest of the year and um, stuff that we can maybe follow, attend, or learn more about? I've got lots of exciting things, Mike. Thanks for asking.
2: <laughs> so I... Um, for the last five years, I've been running the fellowship program at the Centre for Sustainability Leadership. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That organization since um, closed its doors and handed over to someone else, to the Monash Sustainable Development Institute. So I'm no longer working there. And it means that I've got this year that is significantly freer than I have been for quite a while. Um, that was like a one- or two-day-a-week part-time job. So now I'm just freelancing and doing music. So in the music world, I've got a new band that I'm... Um, getting up and going. I've got a whole bunch of new songs which reflect on the last two years of my life through chronic health challenges, but also um, linked with the stuff I always sing about, which is about um, human connection with the rest of nature. Um, And I'm sort of, I guess, with those songs and the stories and those songs running a, a line between or through those things. So in what ways is my health crisis linked to the health of the planet and Mm. that crisis and I I know that there are many, many, many um, linkages and that's been interesting to explore and I'm excited about recording a new album and getting it out there with the band. Um, Probably the work thing that I'm most excited about, two things. One is I've finally built a website for my freelance practice for Cloud Catcher. Um, I know that's sort of a boring um, work administration task. Do shout out the uh, URL. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's not out there yet, but it's cloudcatcher.org. And do you, you've got a personal website too? Uh, no, just that one in sure. the band, yeah. And the band is generalassembly.com.au. Um, but the the work thing's exciting to me because um, thinking about how I want to present myself in a work sense, I, all my work for the last six years as I've worked freelance has just been word of mouth um, And that's been great, it's worked fine for me, and it's meant that I've just worked with good people doing good stuff in the world, in the sustainability and social change worlds. Um, But as I decided to put myself out there more with this, um, with a website and branding and so on, I've sort of thought, okay, who am I and what am I about and who do I want to work with? And effectively, I want to work more and more with people who are at that critical edge that I've been talking about tonight of um, shifting the status quo. And I'm okay to work with purpose-driven business, of course, and there's beautiful people doing lots of great work in that space. And I also do some work for um, positive um, government agencies and um, local governments as well. But more and more I want to push into that core um, area of work where probably it doesn't pay very well, mm. but that's okay. Um, I, I want to find as much time as I can to be of use in the world at this critical moment. Um, and then finally, the, the other thing that I'm really excited about is the talk that I mentioned before, the first one's screening at that Transition Film festival event. Um, That's Sunday, the 24th at Brunswick Mechanics Institute. Yes. Yep. Nice job. Um, and I, I did two talks. One of them was about a trip on a cruise ship gone wrong. Um, and it's about capitalism and environmental crisis and uh, collective action. And then I did another talk, which is called Field Recording, which is set in the Daintree Rainforest, and it involves music and um, poetry and um, story. And it's about the difficult emotions that go along with acknowledging and accepting the um, emergency that's going on and the loss of spe- other species um, on the planet right now. And the reality, as far as I understand it, that if we don't allow ourselves to feel some of the sadness of that, then we're also not letting ourselves be open to the love that we have for our earth and our own lives and for everything around us. Um, because if you shut off one side of the coin, the, the difficult, darker emotions, then you also shut off the other side. Um, your openness to, um, love and light. And that's not a theoretical idea. That's part of what I know has made me, um, contributed to me being unwell the last couple of years. So, um, it means a lot to me and I think it's, it feels like something that I just really wanted to share, but that I also feel might be useful for other people who are working in these spaces.
0: Who I have probably, no doubt, no yeah. doubt it will be. Um, and so how can people um, connect with you, sort of, do, do you want to share an email or what's the best way for people to get in touch? And. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, happy for people to get in touch with me. My email is my name, mattwicking at com. Mm-hmm. So that works. I'm, I'm on there. Um not so much in the evenings because I've got my technology to shut me out as <laughs> do you know. Do not email after 6pm. It's ineffective. <laughs> no, you can, but I, you just won't get me. I'll get you the next day. Um, but yeah, I mean, get me there or see me out and about. I'm, um, you know, performing with the band and out in the world doing stuff like this and love connecting with people. I mean, my, um, one of the joys of my work is working with other good people doing good things in the world, um, or passionate to do more or wanting support. Um, and that's really the role I see myself in. It's, um, in various ways, whether through creating music that explores important themes or stories um, or the facilitation and hosting work that I do, um, it's supporting people who are trying to make the world a better place for themselves and others.
0: It's awesome, Matt. Have you got time to hang around for a drink afterwards? And- yes, I'd amazing. Love to. And a quick shout out the Transitions Film Festival does run from the 21st of this month to the 8th of March. And um, you can see some staff around here if you're live in person. Otherwise, transitionsfilmfestival.com, I believe. Is that right? Any AU on that? Yep, good. Okay, getting a signal from the back. That's good. So, um, a big round of applause for Matt. Thank you so much for thank coming you. and joining Thanks me. Everyone in this. for being here. And, and thank you to the audience for being such a wonderful audience, very engaged, asking great questions, really much better questions than I could have come up with at home. Uh, and looking forward to having a drink with you now. So, we'll see you down at the bar. Thanks. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Why not share the podcast with a friend? You could also leave us a five-star review in your podcast player. You may also want to join us for one of our regular live podcasts or to become a show sponsor. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.